You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, get your troubles. Happy days. Come on, get Our hair again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping this in the podcast. Welcome to the podcast where you get really terrible stuff. Hi, this is Deep Tran. I'm Jose Solis. And we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that Jose owns not one, but two Judy face masks that you could see it if you were watching this on YouTube instead of listening to it. And I'm wearing my mask for a very special reason because I'm so excited that... Today we have like a really extra super special, is that even a word? Probably not. We have a special, very special episode because it was so big and so long that Deep even called us Infinity War, which is like a straight thing, right? Yes, it, it okay. is very straight. <laughs> so we ended up with It is episode. Token Theater Friends Infinity War Part <laughs> 1. <laughs> I want Gwyneth Paltrow to play me. Is that problematic? No. Okay. Uh, we have a very long episode, and we want to share all the good stuff that we have for you. So we ended up deciding to, instead of like super editing our episode, we are going to give you two episodes instead of one this week. We have part one, which is going to be an interview with George Salazar, who you know from Be More Chill. And if you were lucky enough to see him in Little Shop of Horrors in California, which is why I'm also wearing this. Which I'm you so also excited. cannot see if this is a podcast. I'm very nerdy today, I'm sorry. Uh, but George is doing Night of a Thousand Judies on July 14th. So we're going to be talking to him about that and what he's been doing in quarantine. And in part two, Deep, what are we doing? Part two, we have our Hamilton Congress, where we have two very special guests come in to talk to us about, wait for it, Hamilton. Because we've noticed that just like in 2015, right now, most of the people critiquing Hamilton are white people, which is pretty problematic because the show is written by a person of color and is starring people of color. So why are there very few people of color who are not named Soraya McDonald writing about it? Who knows? But we decided to do something about it by bringing in two amazing guests to talk about it. 
First, we have Heath Saunders, who is an amazing actor and composer. And you you may remember them from Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 on Broadway. And our second guest is Calandra Smith, who is an arts journalist and friend to me and Jose. And she critiques theater in Atlanta for Arts ATL and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's a really long discussion, but we promise you it is worth it because we go in... We're going far. We almost didn't come out. Will they be satisfied? I know. We hope you'll be satisfied, but, you know, we will never be satisfied <laughs> with our Hamilton discussion because we could have gone on for longer. Oh, my God. We could have, yeah. And we put in a lot of work, work. Who's Angelica in this relationship? Mmm. <clears throat> mmm. I guess we can both be Angelica and Peggy. Like, I don't, like, <laughs> none of us want to be. Eliza's so boring, right? Eliza, Eliza's really good at her job. No, I mean, yeah, but she's I mean, being like, a wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like I mean, like God bless her, but like I want to be like you know, like mm-hmm. yeah, I want a revolution, yeah. not a revelation. <laughs> okay, enough. It sounds like I'm still <laughs> okay. So first off, let's go to the George Salazar interview, and then in the in the next episode, which will be dropping on Friday, we'll have the Hamilton Congress. So welcome to part one. This is a George Salazar interview. Enjoy. Hi, George. Thank you for joining us. Oh, my God. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so it's so nice to see faces. (laughs) (laughs) Not the same faces that I've seen for months. (laughs) Yeah, I mostly talk to myself in the mirror. So yeah. You know, we, we, I am so excited. Like I, you know, as I'm like the biggest, maybe not the biggest, cause like I have a lot of competition, but I'm like such a huge Judy fan and Night of a Thousand Judies is like one of my favorite things in the world. Like when I first realized, when I first found out that it existed, I was like, Justin is like, you know, Glinda, like bringing magic to my like humdrum Dorothy life. So can you talk a little bit about what's your personal Judy experience and why you want it to be a part of this that's going to be like an even more special night because we are in quarantine. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, we're all like super bored first and foremost. And, uh, and so having something to do is really nice. But in, on top of that, you know, my, my Judy story started kind of late in my life. Um, I was introduced to her uh, work, you know, outside of, of course, The Wizard of Oz, but um, I was introduced to her work probably back in like 2015 um, and um, and fell hard very fast, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and just knowing what she means to um, the gay community um, and then also this this evening of of Judy songs, the eighth annual Night of a Thousand Judies. Um, you know, it's uh, it, money will be raised to benefit the Alley Forney Center, um, and so it's just it's a good cause, it's a good time, and I'm just honored to be a part of that lineup too. You know, we have like Lena Hall, uh, uh, Adam Pascal, Alice Ripley, Anne Harada. You know what I mean? So it's it's uh, it's a good group, and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Yeah. And how did you pick your song? Or can you tell us what your song is? I'm not allowed to tell you my song. I got that in an email. <laughs> I got an email that just said, don't talk about what you're singing. Um, you know, actually, I will say, I really wanted to sing Smile. I guess there was some 
there we had a couple roadblocks with getting um the music rights clearance which has been a whole a whole nother obstacle in the in the age of corona of like you know we want to like do uh, live stream so that we can give our audiences, you know, something to watch, something to maybe, um, you know, distract them from 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 the pandemic. Um, but music rights are such a thing, and uh, and so we couldn't get Smile. Uh, so I will be singing a different song that I didn't know, uh, and I learned for for the show, and I'm I'm really excited to sing it. So can you tell us a little bit about performing virtually just because like what was the logistic like when yeah. do you have a track you're singing to? Do they send you a piano accompaniment? How does that work? Yeah, you know, I think um, there was there was so there were so many um, attempts done at the beginning of this that, that uh, we as a community have figured out like the best way to do this, you know, obviously uh, duets, uh, don't work because of a delay, which I have like a whole, uh, I, I was hosting a, uh, a, a talk show at the beginning of quarantine. Um, and, and, uh, it, every episode ended with a delayed duet where we sang a duet. I sang a duet with a guest and it was, uh, it was a train wreck, but it was like, you know, when you commit to the train wreck, people really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but we, I think we figured out uh, a great system uh, basically what happens is we get a track, uh, that is, you know, um, uh, put together by, uh, the MD Tracy's RMD, uh, for Tracy Stark for the, um, for the concert. Um, but they'll, they'll record a track. They'll send you the track. Um, and there are kind of two ways to do it logistically. One is to sing live, um, which can be tricky with a, track because they you know tracy was playing something without me uh without my vocals so you kind of really have to figure out when the track slows down it gets a little tricky the other option is to record record just a track of me singing to the uh to the track and then we can we can edit that over almost make like a music video you know where mm -hmm. you're kind of lip syncing um <laughs> so there's so there's two ways to do it it does get kind of tricky because uh, in addition to performing we also have to be like our lighting people and we have to be like the camera crew and you have to be uh hair and makeup and it, all that stuff so it it actually is more uh involved than say going to 54 below and singing a song there <laughs> I can imagine like, well, actually Deep and I do not believe in the delay and we prepared uh, a performance of the Happy Happy Days are here again for you. So ready, Deep? No, I'm kidding. Oh, um, God. Jesus. <laughs> obviously it would be Barbara because I'm a little bit just like slightly older. But, uh, you know, we could, we could talk about all the things that you could have been doing, George, uh, if, you know, there wasn't like a crazy virus killing everyone. But instead, I want to talk about the things that you have picked up. Have you picked up any new skills in quarantine or have you learned anything new about your craft or your art that you're like, hey, you know, like I really want to use this if we ever go back to, you know, touching people again and, and being in yeah. community. So my show, um, that was a skill, a huge skill that I conquered. Uh, the show we did, we raised about $10,000 
in I think about eight weeks, uh, eight or nine weeks. Um, I had people like Nico Santos on. I had MJ Rodriguez. I had Joe Iconis. Um, and so the initially that show was built as like I said a distraction from COVID. Um, um, and then George Floyd's murder happened, uh, and the Black Lives Matter movement really. I mean, I it it gives me so much hope to see how truly how huge that movement uh, uh, exploded. And um, and so I decided that this show that was like light and fun was not the appropriate use of space and time. So uh, so I put a hold on that show. But in the time, in the in the, uh, you know, months that we did that, I learned how to live stream. I learned how to host a show. I was working with a, a, a producer, Sam Pasternak, who um, who's uh, typically a segment pr- producer on, on various talk shows. He did like Meredith Vieira show. Um, uh, he's working on Drew Barrymore's upcoming talk show. Uh, and so uh, so I really kind of got to hone in on that side of of things that i would like to do someday um and uh and we're we're revamping our show sundays on the couch uh in the coming weeks to be uh less of a fun time hour and more of a conversation about uh, personal experiences i I'm, I'm really interested in bringing all of my friends who uh are a part of various marginalized communities my trans friends my gay friends my black friends uh, my Asian friends, my mixed race friends, you know, you know, you know I have a, a really great following of young people. Um, and they're at an, uh, an age now where they are, um, they're most flexible, right? They're impressionable. And it's an important opportunity, I feel, to uh, have conversations with people that they don't get to see on TV, um, uh, to have conversations that they don't typically get to hear, uh, if they are if they are surrounded by you know just mostly white people, uh, and so I um, so I'm really excited to um, to share so many individual journeys and stories and experiences, um, you know, issues of race and and um, and transness and and gayness and all those things. Um, cause it's a, yeah, I mean, I feel like I, I have a really, really great opportunity to, um, to kind of further the conversation and, um, and teach them a little bit, you know, teach them without them knowing that I'm teaching them. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The concept for your revamped Sunday on the couch kind of like, sound, kind of sounds like the concept for our show too. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think we're ready for the competition right now, George. <laughs> You're going to beat us. <laughs> I know. No, we're all doing it together, right? Yeah. Right. So, so then we can come on your show and do our get happy, happy days are here again. Uh, that's ten- okay. Yes. <laughs> no, I think I think the delayed duets aspect of our show will will stay. Uh, uh, I love the idea of sharing uh, sharing so many people's um, stories and uh, trials and tribulations and struggles. Um, uh, sharing two different stories. Uh, and then uh, watching those two people through all of their differences sing the same song. And yeah, it might be bumpy and yeah, the delay might be wonky and yeah, it might be sloppy and messy, but it's two people seeing through their differences and singing the same song together. And I think, um, yeah, so I would love to have you guys on it. Yeah, no pressure, but <laughs> I expect performance ready, costumes, makeup, everything. Oh shit, I gotta get a ring you light. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gotta get a ring light, bro. Oh my god. 
Oh, so so speaking of like real conversations, the the we yeah. I'm sure I'm sure you saw the we we see you you know, White American Theater Letter and the, what happened in June with George Floyd. And so was that what inspired you to to tweet very frankly about last year's Tony Awards and the exclusionary, you know, environment that... Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I've been having a lot of really incredible conversations. And um, the, the most recent one was the day that I that I tweeted about my, my Tony's experience last year. Um, we, I was talking to an old classmate uh, who went to the university of Florida with me about, uh, racism within that institution. And we were trying to, um, we were trying to kind of get a ball rolling on, on issuing some sort of call to action to the university, um, uh, to, you know, to fix some issues that have been around in that school for quite some time. You know, I graduated there in 2008 and it seems like not much has changed since I was there. Uh, and so in, in the process of having that conversation and kind of for weeks leading up to that, every time I had a conversation about race, somehow the, the Tony's, uh, experience kept coming up in conversation. It was a really, uh, it was a really difficult, a painful experience for me, like mm -hmm. really painful. And it was kind of a, a huge factor in my decision to move to LA. Um, it felt, uh, it felt. Yeah, it just didn't feel it didn't feel good. It didn't feel good to to have experienced that. And what also didn't feel good was that I kept having these conversations about it and it kept bringing up all of these feelings that I had worked really hard over the last year um to kind of like, you know, process and and deal with, confront and then and then say goodbye to. But I kept having these conversations and it just kept working me up and I felt like it was you know, people are listening and people are watching. And, um, you know, I, I, I issued like a follow-up that was like, I'm not asking for an honorary Tony award. I'm not asking for a performance slot in the next Tony's and, you know, in 2030, like I'm asking that these kinds of things don't happen again. You know, it takes a little bit of thought. Um, and the, uh, I think the, the biggest issue in, in our industry is that, um, there, there aren't very many people of color in, you know, leadership and power positions within the industry. And so if, if there were, I don't think something like that would have happened because there would have been another kind of perspective to, to clock that and say, you know, maybe this is a bad idea. You know, maybe we shouldn't have four white people sing a song that we, that, that, that a mixed race, gay, Latino, Asian uh, sang, uh, especially if we told him from the beginning that there wasn't going to be any time. So, you know, I, I, I needed to like get that off my chest more for like my own mental health in the middle of like a pandemic and being trapped at home. Um, but I also wanted to, you know, I, I think, uh, like I said earlier, like the be more chill had, has allotted me this really incredibly supportive community of young, of young fans. And, um, and I, I've never taken that lightly and I've never taken that for granted. And, it's important to me that I be um, someone that I didn't have growing up, you know? So even if there's like one brown kid out there who like, you know, watched a bootleg video of me singing Michael in the bathroom and felt empowered and emboldened to pursue a career in the arts, then like, my God, like it doesn't matter how many Broadway shows I get, how many chances I have to perform on some big stage. It's like that, that's what it's all about for me. And that's, that's what keeps me going. Um, especially in a time when like, it's really hard to find the motivation, right. And to find like the hope and, and, and optimism sometimes to, 
to 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 say to myself like yeah no no we'll be back on stage soon you know it's uh and so 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 yeah so i i um i of course like the the black lives matter movement and 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 the we see you letter um had a lot to do with that but really what it was was as a result of all of those things happening i just i couldn't keep reliving that and so i just needed to say it once uh in a public way and and you know that's something, those feelings were something that I, I held inside for a full, for a year, mm-hmm. you guys. Um, and my closest friends knew my feelings about it. And, um, and, uh, but you know, you don't want to rustle feathers. You don't want to upset people. You don't want to point fingers at people. Uh, you want to like, especially as a person of color in this industry, you really want to play it as safe as possible because you don't want to screw up your opportunity to continue to do work that um, that is at a at a caliber that you've grown accustomed to, so you know, um, yeah, that's that that was kind of the 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 um, the thought process behind behind sharing my feelings about that. Mm, yeah, because we basically get one shot, right? Not to like be all like Hamilton, like, but uh, if we miss it, you know, like yeah. usually, like yeah, we we usually don't get another one. But uh, you know, it, it's so perverse in a way like you know the universe destiny whatever uh because it seemed that pre uh covid and pre-quarantine things were kind of looking very good for people of color you know you did little shop and you know that cast was like deep got to see you like i didn't and i i yeah anyway i was, I was very i'm very sad jose didn't get to see you. I'm very sad as I didn't get to see either. You know, I I I really really hope that there's a uh, there's a possibility of a future for that show in New York because, uh, you guys the the I mean we we've sold really well at the Pasadena Playhouse, but you know doing the stage door after every performance and seeing more color people of color uh, in the audience here in California than I did the entire run of Be More Chill. Uh, I think it, it's it also speaks volumes about the um, you know the inaccessibility of of Broadway, um, the high ticket price, and how a lot of people just can't afford. I know growing up um, in my mixed race household, we could never afford you know airfare to New York, hotel accommodations, and Broadway show tickets on top of like food and all that. And, <laughs> you know, I I heart New York T-shirts and stuff like that. There's just no way. There was just no way we could have done that. Um, and so bring, having that show, uh, live in Pasadena where the, you know, the average ticket price was maybe like 40, 50 bucks. Um, it, it was such a great opportunity to reach little kids who look like me. And it was a really powerful, you know, I be more chill means so much to me, but in a, in a, in a huge way, like that production of little shop was, was such a career highlight for me because I got to tell a story through a story that so many people know and love through a different lens um and uh, it was a, it was moving to be a part of and um and uh and yeah i mean just just meeting all meeting all those brown kids at the stage door just like it wrecked me in the best way possible yeah. you you and mj did the uh sang at one of the uh, late night shows right i don't remember the james corden yeah, show we did james yeah. corden show yeah and around that time my uh 12 year old my 12 year old niece for the first time she realized that she wanted to go into a performing arts high school so she was she wanted to audition with you know a song from little shop and she was like seeing all the uh, you know what she knew right she had only seen apparently high schools really like doing that show 
So she had only seen, you know, uh, white kids do it. And she had only seen, you know, her sister had been in it and she wasn't like good enough. So she had just been like a prop person. And then I was like, no, 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 wait a second. And like, you know, the week that she was applying for schools, you sang it with MJ and uh, and the James Corner show. And she got to see it for the first time. And like, just to look, you know, the, the sparkle in her eyes and like her mouth was like, she had no idea that that people, you know, with her with her skin color and people who looked like her could could do that. And I was like, thank you for that. Uh, although you, you know, you weren't there, George, but you were. So and she got into the high school that she wanted to go to. So, yes, uh, work. I was very yeah. happy. Yeah, I was very I, happy for her. Please send her my love and congratulations. I'm I'm very I'm, I don't even know her, but I'm proud of her. Uh, <laughs> no, but that's I mean, that's such a great point. You know, it's like. I think this is a moment where people are um, people are free to and free, by free I mean that you know the pandemic has has really allowed everyone to kind of sit at home and and think about what it's like to be in someone else's shoes and so how many opportunities do we get to do that as like a as like a nation you know um, marches and protests in fifty in all fifty states like when was the last time something like that happened It's a moment where people are really like amping up their compassion and empathy levels to understand other people. And, you know, I, I, um, I hope that, um, that there are, you know, uh, non-Latino, non-Asians who can watch that performance and understand what it must feel like to be a little brown kid seeing that on national television. I mean, it was a, it was a huge honor to, to get to, you know, be on that show and to get to sing that number with MJ. Um, and just knowing that that video is still circulating on YouTube and it's still, it's still getting likes and uh, views. Um, yeah, I mean, the sky's the limit. It, it really, it's, it's, it is such, it's such a simple idea to, um, to give, uh, a platform to people of all skin colors and backgrounds uh, it, 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 the impact, uh, that that can have, we see with your niece, like it's important and, uh, and it does make a difference. And, you know, um, for as long as I can remember, there's always been this, this conversation happening in the Broadway community about how the importance of the arts, right. And we want to save the arts and we want to, we want to save arts education. Um, and, and that's all, that's all fantastic, but also like, there's something really educating in, a young brown person seeing someone that looks like them on stage, right? And that that there is there is there is something to um, leading by example in our industry, um, and 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 taking as many opportunities to teach and encourage young people as possible. And uh, this is and it, this is such a great way to do that. And and the thing is, like, if you do something like that, the little shop of horrors that you did with MJ on Broadway, then it sets a precedent for how that show can be cast. Because what was really frustrating to me, because I saw the New York production after I saw your production, yeah. and what was frustrating to me was the fact that it was cast exactly the way it was done in the 1980s. And the first production always sets the precedent for it. Right. And so the 1980s, there was a lack of imagination in terms of diversity. And so that, and so that precedent just perpetuates itself today. I watched the past Daniel Little Shop, and then I, and then I watched Parasite, the bong, the bong yeah, I, I I really loved your write up. Um, oh, really you. loved it. Really, really loved thank it. Thank you. But that because like that's what the, it made the connection for. 
about modern income inequality that I did not see in the in the movie version or the version I saw in New York. And so, like, what's your perception when it comes to revivals? Well, um, in college, I uh, I was taking a like an intro to theater class, and this was in freshman year. And the assignment, one of the assignments was, uh, you are the artistic director of a regional theater. And uh, what is what is your mission statement? And I really appreciated being asked that question as a freshman in college because uh, I I realized that you don't have to be an artistic director or a community theater or a regional theater to have a mission statement. So I, I have uh, uh, adopted my own personal artistic mission statement. But uh, in, in the context of that assignment, my... Um, my approach to it was we reimagine classics and we um, we try to find new ways to tell the same story. And that became kind of an obsession for me dating back to, what was that, 2004 uh, uh, at the University of Florida. Um, I remember, uh, you know, trying to come up with a concept for um, a production of Gypsy. Uh, I don't remember what my concept was, but I think I did Gypsy. I'll have to find. I'll find. I'll find the essay somewhere, and it'll, I'll. I believe that um, there are, you know, a revival can serve two purposes, right? Uh, it can it can give someone the the nostalgia that they're craving, right? Um, but it can also be an opportunity, as we saw with Little Shop, to uh, do a little more work. You know, like maybe don't take sometimes for me, like a revival is just kind of lazy, especially <laughs> doing so many talented, gifted, uh, musical theater writers, um, uh, and playwrights. Uh, there, there's no shortage of stories, right? But it's just so much easier to say, like, well, people like the music, man. I don't, I, I didn't mean to call it. <laughs> it's okay, we, we, we can just got rid on this podcast, it's fine. <laughs> we, we do the we, people. People love the musical. We should do the music man again. And you know what? We'll do it exactly like it's always been done. Uh, uh, then there are risk takers, right? There are people who who uh, try to reinvent um, the co- uh, concept of a musical, maybe and they maybe go too far with it. But what I think with with Little Shop and I, I you know, this is a te- such a testament to a the Pasadena Playhouse, which I I mean I I I fell in love with the theater itself and the administration, Danny Feldman, the artistic director. And this is a testament to Mike Donahue as a director. You know, on day one of rehearsal, he pulled me aside and he was like, I want to make this with you. I want to make this together. And if you have any ideas or thoughts or concerns or questions or anything, please, 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 please tell me, um, let's do this together. And it was like uh, the first time in my career that I was um, kind of in in the passenger seat. Uh, instead of, you know, in a trailer somewhere. So, uh, so, so it was, I mean, it was awesome. And we got to, we, we had really, really great conversations. And, you know, I was just talking to, I'm, so right now I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm with uh, my friends, Nico Santos from Superstore and Zeke Smith, Survivor uh, and Trans Icon. We were talking about the decision. Uh, Zeke was asking like, what, what, what was the decision to, change the key of suddenly Seymour, for example. Um, and I told him, I was like, you know, it was actually, because we all agree that it, it was very powerful to see MJ kind of drop into that part of her voice. Uh, and uh, especially after singing 
you know, so high for the, for the entire thing. And then to sing lyrics, like the girl that's inside me. And, and suddenly it's this moment where Audrey feels like she can just be herself. And, you know, Zeke was like, it just felt like it should have been a trans woman the entire time. Like it should have, it should always have been a trans actress playing that part. Um, and so, so, uh, we talked about specifically about the key and I told him, I was like, it was a happy accident. Um, it was like the vocal part for Audrey gets super high. So then the question was presented like, you know, is this sustainable to do eight times a week? Um, and, uh, MJ of course is like, I got this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then I was like, you know, it's actually kind of low in my voice because the original, uh, the original key, I think would start with like, lift up your head, wash off your mouth. I don't have those notes. I, I don't have a low voice. And so we played for about like an hour and a half. We sat with Daryl, our MD, and we sang through it. And we, we raised the key. We lowered the key. We tried to find the, the sweet spot. We found that spot that was actually comfortable vocally for me, comfortable vocally for MJ. And then what happened as a result of that happy accident was this really powerful, almost like first time we've ever seen suddenly Seymour performed, right? It would just felt... It felt so fresh and, and it felt so new and vibrant and um, and honest, you know. Uh, if we're going to revive old works, we really need to be doing the work, right? And we really need to be bringing a, a, bringing, bringing a fresh eye. And, and in Little Shop, fortunately, it worked. We didn't change any of the lines. There was no mentioning of Audrey uh, in our show being trans. Like there was just, it, we, we did the show as it was written and it worked, you know? Sure, our plant was pink. I love the pink plant. I love the pink plant too. I just, I always felt like it was problematic to sing somewhere that's green at the end uh, and not have the green plant. But I, I, I wonder uh, though, if we do it, if we do it again, um, if we do, if we do a green plant. Hmm. Or she could be two colors. But the thing about that plant was I kept waiting for her to get, you know, like, just steadily bigger. bigger and i know i know it was like a metaphorical thing but at the same time i was just like i just need a giant plant <laughs> I came to but see that's your that's all of our nostalgia right our nostalgia <laughs> kind of creeps in, in in different ways so you know you you wanted a big plant i know uh a kevin chamberlain uh who played mushnick there was one day and i still give him a hard time about this but there was one day rehearsal where he uh they were showing us the plant and he turned to me and he goes I really hope someone comes in here on the weekend, spray paints that shit green. <laughs> it was really, uh, but oh, everyone's, right? everyone's nostalgia kind of works in a different way. For me, it felt so, I was like so relieved to be doing a show that were, where, I mean, it felt like we were doing the first for the world premiere of Little Shop. You know, we weren't holding on to any of the um, precedent established by the first production back in the eighties. It was. Uh, it felt fresh and new, and and as an artist, um, that was really satisfying to be a part of. Mm. Yeah, I love that because I was trying to tell to somebody, Eric, because usually a lot of this, you know, music man's got wooden revivals. People say they have no POV, but I'm like, yes, they do. They have like a Make America Retrograde Again POV. That's a POV also, like the white vision is a POV. So I'm glad that you mentioned Parasite because what I was saying is, you know, like. You did Little Shop, and like the Parasite wins the Oscar, and then we get hit by this uh, thing, and it's like it seems to be like stopping uh, progress in a way. But instead, you know, Deep thinks I'm delusional, but I am. I have never been as excited 
about the future of theater as I am right now. And is there like one thing right now that's like giving you a lot of hope that you've seen? Uh, Because I actually am loving all the, you know, the Zoom and all the the radio plays and all the uh, animal. Have you seen the Animal Crossing theater? No. (laughs) He mentioned that in the last episode. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like so mind blown by what people are doing right now. Because, you know, theater makers are, I don't know. Animal Crossing theater. Jose, people are bored. That is what that that is what that is. <laughs> Animal Crossing Theater. Wow. I mean, that is basically like. I mean, I guess it's kind of like if you were if you during quarantine decided to pick up like you know shadow puppets or or like <laughs> or, or you know. I guess, I guess that's kind of along the same lines. It's just a little more digital. Um, wow. I, I'm gonna look that up. I can't. I'm so intrigued. I don't think yeah. I'm gonna like it. <laughs> You, I was gonna say, why don't why don't do your gypsy in Animal Crossing? In Animal Crossing, <laughs> um, maybe, maybe. Um, I uh, I find a lot of hope in the um, in actors who are so used to waiting by the phone for permission to work and permission to create. Um, you know, waiting to book an audition in order to to, to do work. Um, I find a lot of hope in seeing people um, create on their own, um, uh, whether it's like, you know, a group of four friends singing songs for a new world or something like that, you know, and like editing things together. That, that I feel immense hope for. Um, but then that hope, you know, not to be a buzzkill, but then that hope is shattered by people who refuse to wear masks in public and are gathering and going to parties. And, you know, the longer that this thing um, exists um, because of people not taking it seriously, um, the longer it takes for all of us to get back to doing and watching what we love. And so, um, so I, yeah, you know, I, I try every day to find hope uh, in one place uh, and then try not to invest any of my mental, um, you know, my brain space and bandwidth on like, you know, the harsh realities of the situation. But if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I'm not feeling totally hopeful right now. I will say outside of the arts, um, you know, I, I find a lot of hope in uh, conversations with my parents. Uh, my mother is from the Philippines. Uh, growing up, there was such an obsession and love of white beauty. There was such a, there was a, a, that was the idea of white beauty was just put on such a pedestal in my family. Um, obsession with white Hollywood, obsession with what they're wearing, obsession with their light skin, obsession with staying out of the sun so that they, so that they as Filipinos can have light skin. Um, um, and then, you know, my father, who is, you know, macho Latino guy, when I came out to him a couple years ago, he slammed the door in my face. We fixed our, our relationship and, and he has become like so accepting in such a beautiful way, but I find hope in having conversations with my parents about race, about racism that 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 I experienced growing up, that they were a part of, um, that I was a part of. Uh, having conversations where we kind of we we clock all of our wrongdoings, uh, we admit we would we admit that we were wrong, and then we actively work to correct that and and not repeat those same behaviors and actions. But I find a lot of hope in having conversations with my parents because they're old they're old and stubborn and they're locked in their ways and 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 you know it's 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 
it was it was kind of a struggle to get them to stay inside at the beginning of this. Um, and so to see that my parents are capable of change and growth um, uh, gives me hope that everyone, that we are all capable of changing growth. It just the message has to has to just resonate and ring in a certain way for people to catch it. You know, I think it's kind of like a dog whistle. Um, you know, you can, you can blow and blow and blow. Um, but the frequency is, is, is in such a way that it it takes some time. It takes more time for others to really pick up on what they're hearing. Um, and so, you know, for me going forward, it's been less about blocking and canceling and, and calling people out. And I mean, this is so lame because I, I, I feel like I just read a controversial YouTuber use this, but like calling people in instead of calling people out and trying to have discussions, especially with my fan base that, that are so young, you know, they're, I, I realize that they may not know what's happening. They may not understand it fully because they may be quarantined and trapped in a, an unaccepting home. And so, um, having the opportunity to bridge the gap and, and, and speak my mind, um, directly to them, uh, has been a, a real treat, but that's what I'm finding days really is is that these conversations that we're having now that you know i'm 34 it took 30 years for me to have any of these conversations with my parents and they're my parents like they're the easiest people to talk to you know but it took years and mm-hmm. they're happening. the conversations are happening now so mm. i i feel I a lot of hope um that we are that we are heading in the right direction we just need to get trump out <laughs> yeah tell your fans to vote Yes. Oh, don't worry. <laughs> Wait, I've been so- in the state of Florida uh, to phone bank <laughs> and get people registered. Truly, seriously. Oh uh, my God, you, you adopted a state with Pod Save America? Yeah, yeah. Wait, so I'm, I'm like part of this uh, Facebook group with other Vietnamese Americans about like strategies to talk to your parents who are, who are usually more conservative. And so like, what's your strategy? You know, um, this is an interesting thing and, and a subject that I am really passionate about it is the, the mixed race experience in America. And I mean, being a first generation mixed race person, because the whole like my parents are still married. They're still, you know, madly deep in love. But our whole family unit was built on this idea of two people from very different backgrounds, seeing past all their differences um, and working together to create a family. So I find that the conversations I'm having with my parents specifically, they're more understanding, they're more understanding than I think some other, other parents would be because they've, they've, they've dealt with racism from their own families. You know, when, when my family, when my mom's side met my dad for the first time, the first question they asked was how much money he made. Um, and you know, there was a thing of like, find a Filipino guy or a white guy. And it was, you know, wow, you're dating a Latino guy and he's a maintenance guy at the nursing home. Are you sure? You know, uh, so having this conversation with my parents has been actually quite easy. Um, all things considered, it's the conversations I've been having with um, with with other family members. I got into a really heated Facebook debate um, with uh, a, a cousin of mine who is a doctor um, who has been on the front lines through this entire pandemic, and he um, he uh, as a as a response to the Black Lives Matter protests. He uh, wrote this this post that really he should have just stopped it after the first sentence where he said, you know, um, 
I've been, I've been, uh, I've, I've spent all my time at the ER. I've been, I've been saving people's lives. I've been watching people die from this. And now is, uh, you know, now is probably not the best time to go out protesting. But then he went off on this whole other thing that was like this model minority um, approach of like, you know, I have a millionaire neighbor who's Indian and I'm Filipino and, you know, we came from nothing, but we came here and we worked hard. If you just work hard and you're not lazy, you can make things happen for yourself. Implying that people who are not uh, doctors or millionaire, you know, business owners are lazy. Uh, it's it, it was it was just the wrong thing to say. out it, And it, we started this whole dialogue that. I was like, my hands were shaking as I was typing because I couldn't believe, um, that, that, that a person of color, um, who is a doctor, you know, you're supposed to have compassion in that field, um, couldn't understand, you know, or was, was refusing to understand days later, he deleted the post, which I took as an admission of, of, of wrongdoing. Um, and so I, uh, I was victorious in that, in that conversation, but you know, I was trying not, I was trying to take a breath before I hit send. That's been a thing, you know, as, uh, most recently with the Tony tweet was like, let's take a breath, let's revisit this. And then let's set, let's put it out into the universe because I think we're all feeling such heightened emotions, a, because we're locked up in our homes and B because the world is in such disarray um, and so that breath is so important. So I, I, my advice to people who are confronting stubborn family members is to just take a deep breath and try to find as like, try to, try to like frame your responses in as neutral a way as possible. Um, and it works. It does work. Even if they don't admit it out loud, uh, it works. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I can, I can share that, uh, from personal experience. Just take a deep breath. <laughs> I love that, like a like a Judy breath before she said a Judy breath exactly. Over the rainbow, yeah. I hope so. Like, I, yeah, I hope you know. Like, if I, I hope we all work. Now I'm gonna start crying, so I will say that. Um, no, say that. Oh, I was, I, I, I was thinking about my favorite. I was telling deep, like my favorite thing about Night of a Thousand Judies is the end. You know, when at every performance, like we, everyone sings somewhere over the rainbow together. And I'm like, wouldn't that be like amazing? Like if we could replace like the national anthem with somewhere over the rainbow, because oh. you know, that's that's where we all want to go, right? You know, where the yeah, that place where if little the birds fly, why the fuck can't we? Uh, yeah. So anyway, the- and we can, we can. That's the thing is like we can. That's what's so frustrating is like we can, we can live in that world. Um, it just, it's like I said earlier, when I was talking about revivals, it just takes work. We just have mm-hmm. to do the work. And now is such an inc- incredible opportunity because we have the time to do the work. And I, I find hope in my white friends and, and white allies who are doing the work, you know? Um, and, and, uh, and, and so that's it. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we just, we have to, we have to do the work and we have to do it together. So, George, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. I love the fact that this year, Night of a Thousand Judies is on Bastille Day, because that is like a good omen, I would say, you know, Judy's uh, <laughs> death in many ways propelled, you know, the Stonewall uh, riots. And I'm like, you know, like, go Judy, right? So yeah. this is your moment to plug everything that you're doing and everything that you want our viewers and our listeners to check out that you're involved in. So go. 
yes. Well, uh, on, uh, uh, oh God, July 14th at 8 PM. That's, uh, next Tuesday, uh, is, uh, the night of a thousand Judy's is the eighth annual, um, thousandjudies.com, uh, watch and donate, 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 donate. If you can, all of those, uh, proceeds will go to the Alley Forney center. Uh, they're the largest organization dedicated to homeless LGBTQ youth, um, in the United States. Um, what else? Keep an eye out for Sundays on the couch. I think we're going to try to get a show, uh, our first new show up, uh, not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. Um, what else am I doing? Um, uh, catch me hanging out on my couch, uh, or going from the couch to the fridge and then from the fridge to my room and then back to the fridge, uh, seven days a week. Uh, between the hours of what time am I normally waking up? 3 p.m. to <laughs> 7 a.m. in the morning. Wait, and and from your room to the pool. This week only. Wait, yes. This week only. As I say, I'll give you two assignments and like homework if you want. Like, okay. I want either like my Gypsy Animal Crossing crossover, okay. or since you're in love with you know. Serial killers, apparently. I want George I'm not in Salazar's. love with serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> what George Salazar is uh, yeah. in love with serial killers. Yeah, I will. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Since you like, since yeah. you enjoy. I don't know. What I want is to see I Know What You Did Last Summer, the musical written by you and starring you as every character. Honey, you do not want a musical written by me. I write the worst <laughs> music I write the word. I, I would be rhyming rhyming a word with the same word. You know what I mean? It would be like serial killer rhymed with serial killer. Uh, well, you, don't, we'll you, you don't, we'll you don't want that. <laughs> Let me know if the album's ever coming. The Little Shop album. Uh, yeah, I will. I when I find out, you'll find out. I'm sure. I'm sure you're <laughs> gonna find out before I find out. Actually. <laughs> It's not always how it goes. Yeah, I got Yeah, I got Danny Feldman on speed dial. Yeah. <laughs> I just spoke to him this morning. We are trying to work on um uh, uh like a uh, sh- shooting a cabaret act on stage at the at the Playhouse. Um so stay tuned for that. How? Uh we would we just had like preliminary discussions about it, but it would be uh the band, we wouldn't have any woodwind uh, it would just be kind of a, a guitar, bass, uh, piano, drum situation. They'd be on stage six feet apart. Uh, and then I would potentially be singing from the house. Um, huh. An empty theater. I think that oh, that's- An empty theater, but they can, so they can film, live stream it or something. Yeah. Yeah, but it is very early, early brainstorming. I, I have to get a, a song list in, uh, in by Friday. Uh, but that might be, uh, that, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Oh my god! If you can pull it off, that's like a that that'll be like a new thing that people can try out. Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have an audience; it would be just the empty, it'd be a, a a live stream situation. But yeah, I mean, I'm I can't wait to go back. He told me it was like drive by the theater. There's someone there every day. Tell them that you just want to go stand on stage and just go stand on stage. I really, I think I'm gonna do it next week. <laughs> oh my god, actors are junkies. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Give me my theater. Um, <laughs> so much for having me, you guys. You're both the best. Uh, I really love this conversation. Um, me too. Like, go swim for us. I, like, we're yeah, we here. Yeah, yes, please. Go, go get some sun for us. I will. I'm so pale. Bye, you guys. Oh, man, that was, that was so much. 
I want a pool also. Like, I want to be in California. Maybe we should, you know, like, since apparently all the fun things are happening in California, maybe we should do that Sex and the City train trip that Samantha and Carrie do. How do you feel about that? Uh, if we're the only people on the train, <laughs> sure. Do you want to get COVID all over the over three days and shower over a toilet? I mean, at some point, not right now. But anyway, thank you, George, for joining us. I cannot wait for Night of the Thousand Judies. And this was our show for today. Well, this was our episode for today. Tune in for part two tomorrow when we're going to have the Hamilton Congress. So, And we are on Patreon. So if you would like to support our work and make sure that we have a more amazing conversations like this and more writing on our website, tokentheaterfriends.com. We write stuff, too then please be a patron. It really helps us out because Jose and I are a two-person congress most of the time. You know? We're like Lin-Manuel, Manuel, Manuel. We're like Lin-Manuel and Tommy Kale. You know? We, do, we, we make gigantic stuff together that may piss some people off. <laughs> Hopefully. Fingers crossed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you all, and tune in tomorrow for our Hamilton Congress. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.